You're listening to the We Lead Well podcast, where well-being matters. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Transform Education Coaching, headteacherchat.com and the Teach Well Alliance. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the We Lead Well podcast. I'm Vicky Maguire. I'm an education and leadership coach. I work with school leaders to support them to improve their own well-being and that of all their staff. I also help them to create coaching communities in their schools, really getting to grips with and understanding exactly what coaching is and how it works, how it can benefit staff in the school, and then helping school leaders to use coaching techniques to support the improvement of teaching and learning and well-being in schools. I also run group coaching programs for women leaders and I've created the Women Lead Well Coaching Network to provide a supportive network for female school leaders. If you're interested in finding out more about how I might be able to work with your school to help you to put coaching in place and create a coaching community to support teaching and learning, you can get in touch with me, email me, it's vicky at weleadwell.co.uk or you can have a look at the website www.transformeducationcoach.com where you can book to have a chat with me. So today on the show, I've got an interview with Julia Carling and I absolutely loved interviewing Julia. She is absolutely brilliant. I don't think there is a job in a school that Julia has not done. She seems to have done everything um, and she's gained a significant amount of experience from doing all those roles right up to head teacher and chair of governors, which she is now. Julie is a real supporter and proponent of emotional literacy which we talk about on the show and how that links into self-awareness which is absolutely key if you are going to lead effectively. You are going to really enjoy this interview with Julie. Here she is. Julia Hancock, welcome to the We Lead Well podcast. It's brilliant to have you with us. How are you? Hi, it's brilliant to be here. Yeah, a little bit warm, but but fine. Yeah, <laughs> it has been. Great... It has been very warm, hasn't it? It has. Great summer though, and and I, I really don't mind it. Um, I lived in Thailand for two years, so it's kind of taken me back to that a little bit. Um, perhaps not quite as humid, but uh, definitely that relentless um, get up every day, and it's really warm. <laughs> yes, I remember when um, we went travelling, and uh, we we were in a hotel. We'd arrived late at night, and we were in a hotel in Bangkok, and we stepped out of the door and onto the pavement and I was thinking when's this heater going to stop heating you know like when you step out of Tesco and you've yeah. got a little heater then you step into the cold and as I stepped out I was like oh it's not this is actually the heat <laughs> it's like, like a cloak it's like a cloak. it is I remember yeah. I remember getting up one day I don't know how long we've been living there and I just said to my mum you know those days you have in Britain when you get when you come outside and everything's white and crisp and the air is clear so you can take a great big deep breath I said I really am hankering after one of those <laughs> so every time we have one of those days now I really really value it you know yes. all that 
element of gratitude you just sort of think yeah it might be cold but this is what I hankered after all those years yes I was a bit like that in Australia when it got to November I was a bit like oh really sort of yeah yeah, wanted one of those cold crisp frosty winter days so can you tell the listener all about you who you are what you do wow who's who's Julia Hancock (laughs) Who am I? Um, you know, we, we, well, in the preamble, we were talking about um, how we define ourselves. Who am I? It's a big, it's a big question, isn't it? And there's a, a little while ago, I'd have said I'm a head teacher. Well, I'm not a head teacher anymore. Um, and I've taken three years since I was a head to kind of work out what the answer to that question is. I'm not sure we ever get to it, do we? But yeah, I am a former school head. I'm now a chair of governors. I'm, I'm still very much rooted in in schools um if we talk about what i do um i work in leadership learning well-being so i work with initial teach trainers i i, I facilitate mpqs i'm a, i do supervision and i'm a coach as well and other things i'll probably miss something crucial out or vital <laughs> out but really who i am is I'm me you know um, and that means I am the I hope I'm the embodiment of my key values I'm determined I'm going to live with joy my husband always says I've got learning and education written through me like a piece of rock so I think I'll probably accept that that's there I'm committed to learning I've been on a lifelong journey of learning myself and I'm committed to enabling others to learn in whatever vein that is it doesn't have to be in the education sector Um, love is very important to me Um, and I don't mean that in the romantic kind of love although yeah that is important isn't it but actually love of others love of love of each other um, love of life curiosity Um, I'm constantly curious and trying to find out there's different ways of looking at things I'm compassionate but I'd say I value empathy over compassion because compassion talks about compassion to me is about understanding how others feel empathy is being with other people in how they feel so there's a slight difference there um, and I think that comes out in the way I coach um, I can be compassionate I can be I can be um, objective but I can also be empathetic when the need arises and support people in whatever and I will kind of present some supportive challenge in order to enable others and I've always done that you know right if I'm talking about coaching I was a facilitator in a classroom so it would be exactly the same than working with a child all the way through to working with adults and groups of adults I'm creative I like to be creative if if I'm if I know when I'm not feeling so great it's because I haven't been creative I've been too serious and so that kind of links with the joy as well I'm quite playful and most of all, I like to be inspired and I, I like to inspire others and make a difference. So that's a little bit about me, I guess. <laughs> well, from based on our conversation before we started recording, you're already inspiring me. So I'm sure that you're going to inspire the listeners today. Um, now, the reason that I got in touch with you because and, and thought you'd be a great guest to come on the podcast is because there was a post about emotional literacy on LinkedIn, wasn't there? And uh I read your response to it and thought, right, I have to get this woman on the podcast to come and tell us all about this. So do you want to just start talking about that? Because I think some of the things that you've just said now about, you know, how aware of your 
self you are link into that idea of emotional literacy don't they and I think it'd be good for us on the on this program today to explore the idea of emotional literacy and self-awareness because I think it's something that leaders are always told to focus on but I'm not entirely sure that all leaders and I said myself even when I start thinking about it I'm a bit like what does self-awareness mean I'm not I'm not even sure so should we use that as a starting point and you can yeah yeah absolutely I I can lay out on it will probably be something we keep coming back to um, because it's kind of at the heart and I think I think the way I responded was um to do with how I'd worked with a school on curriculum and we put it at the heart of the curriculum yeah in terms of emotional intelligence emotional literacy being right at the heart of all we did and when it comes down to it <clears throat> in a nutshell really if we're not aware of ourselves and how we respond to situation if we're not aware of what we already know and how we feel about what we're finding out about then how can we learn so I think that's the nugget, really, because actually, if we, you know, what we what we all know about learning, what we all know about how people develop, you know, we, we start to interact with the world in terms of where we already are and then how something new comes and enables us to think a little bit more. Well, to be able to think a little bit more and alter the narrative we're telling ourselves or make amendments to that narrative, it's intrinsically linked to how we feel about it. Um, so actually that self-awareness is really important to know how we felt in the first place or to be able to say how we felt because equally what comes along um, you know if something upsets us or disrupts us what then happens is the feelings overtake our brain and we can't think straight we've, we've probably all been at you know I, I can think of um, when I sat and did a maths test once and just couldn't do one of the questions and I was losing it. You know, I was actually thinking, I just can't do this. Or, you know, if you've been in an interview and somebody asks you a question and you just think, ah! Um, and then, you know, we've seen people do quizzes and wants to get one question wrong, all the rest tumble. It's like dominoes, isn't it? So actually the, at the heart of everything, and, and when I've worked, you know, right from when I was working with individual children, classes of children, working with adults, working at, you know, delivering CPD, if people if people can't really interact with their own self-awareness and how they feel and they don't connect with the whatever it is that's coming to them they're not likely to invest time in it they're not likely to film you know it all links with motivational theory as well they're not going to take it and now what we know about neuroscience you know that that putting it into long-term memory mm. they're going to care about it so I, this is where the heart of all the EQ stuff came for me when I was working with a class that, you know, it was it was not not a, a tricky area or whatever. You know, I'm not putting labels on anything in terms of what people say, but for want of a better extra expression, people would have said the school that I was working with was in a leafy green, well-to-do environment. But the class I started to work with when I started my research out of 22 children, at least 12 of them had got real significant challenges in their lives. 
Um, and I had to think there's got to be a different way of doing this because, you know, I couldn't just go into the class and say, right, today we're learning this. Here's the learning objective. Here's this, this, this and this. This is what we're going to do and present them with some work to do. It just wouldn't have worked. Um, and what they really needed. And in our preamble, we were talking about this, you know, that awareness of feeling and being able to then express that feeling because that's two separate two separate skills being aware having a label to put on it it's actually three and um, Mark Brackett talks about this in his book permission yeah. to feel recognizing emotion having being able to label it and give it a word um you know and if we talk about that if we think about okay so am I a bit sad is it despair <laughs> or is it abject you know melancholy or whatever we want to call it and having those shades of meaning as well I don't want to talk about shades of gray but you know what I mean <laughs> so different shades shades of feeling and what are the needs related to that being able to communicate all of that's quite tricky yet we're expecting people children to communicate about feelings of characters in books but they, yeah. they they can't even talk about it themselves and how it how it how their own known experience works in terms of that. Then we, we haven't got hope in hell of them being able to do that for a character who lives in a totally different world to them. So it that was the basics of it really that I started looking at is how can I enable these children to feel like they belong, that they are being heard and valued. And then they value themselves. And to be honest, that's been what I worked on for about six years with a, with lots of different classes and lots of different um, scenarios and continued to work on in my school leadership journey. And when I was working with schools, because once, you know, and it's not it's not it's not rocket science, really. It's about sitting down and. Put the assumptions more to one side don't you know we all we all make assumptions based on where we're coming from um put those assumptions to one side and learn to communicate and listening um listening to the needs as well as trying to work you know as obviously we're going to bring some expertise to it but actually then enabling that ability to speak about emotions because then once you get to that so that's sort of the heart of that. That's where then you can start teaching about, okay, so what can we do about this? You know, when you hit this, when you hit this wall or when, you know, I'll talk to you off screen, if you like, about a child that I worked with who just couldn't, who was just so afraid of getting things wrong in math, she didn't know what to do. So actually then once she'd admitted it, once we explored those feelings, we could then explore what to do about it and find some strategies. And they'll be different for lots of people. Um, but it, it, at the heart of it is that relationship building, isn't it? And um, relationship not, not just with other people, but your relationship with self. It's really interesting because something you said there was that creating that sense of belonging, feeling heard and valued, and valuing themselves and I think that actually is a major part of well-being isn't it yeah whether it's children or whether it's whether it's mm -hmm. adults that that feeling of belonging feeling like you're heard and that you're valued and then valuing yourself as well as a as a big part of that and I don't think I think we've talked about things like belonging being heard being valued as as major elements of well-being 
but I actually don't think that valuing sort of oneself has come up before and that's no, this really comes important yeah, isn't it it yeah absolutely it was something that came to me in my research I'm trying to think of the terms and I'll probably get them wrong um but we talk a lot about self-esteem but there's stuff in there about self-image so you know your self-image has got you've got to have a clear and secure understanding of what your self-image is and be able to interact with that because you know all of us might you know some of it I, I don't know looking in the mirror but I know that you know and I know it's probably an irrational thing so I don't worry about it so there's 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 a self-image and self-worth that's sitting underneath self-esteem so actually then there's there's something about recognizing this finding the strategies to deal with it but there's also about ways of promoting that and and building it and build the confidence so some of my research work was around that and finding strategies for doing that. So once you'd built that EQ, if you like, then then finding ways to play with that, to, to build it um, and to, to work on that. Um, but so that was kind of intrinsically linked. That became intrinsically linked to AFL, Assessment for Learning and Metacognition, because what I found is when children understood how things worked, and it's the same for adults. When we understand how it works, we're probably more likely to buy into it. Um, but we'll also have some sort of recipe for dealing with it. So th this is where it all sort of fitted together. Because you can't have effective assessment for learning if you can't even assess yourself and think, today I'm not feeling great. You know, if you, you know, that how do you feel? If you can't even be honest about that, then being honest about the way you're learning is is not necessarily going to be accurate as well, you know. And you, you've it's it's absolutely complex, isn't it? The layers of it. It is, I mean, and it's, it's it's very easy, isn't it? When someone asks how you feel, to say, "Yeah, yeah, I'm great, great." And like, how many times do people actually share how they're really feeling with people? And I'm just thinking about whether it, that's because we don't create the environments in which it's okay to identify your feelings and share sort of exactly how you're feeling on any specific day at any particular time. Yeah, and I can hear, I, you know, I can hear right now people say, well, we haven't got time. But actually, if you don't make the time, it's just going to continue or get worse. Or, or So actually making the time buys you time. And we talked, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, it's not just about the emotional intelligence. You, you, emotional intelligence and the cognition I've touched on come sort of feed into each other you know that if if you if you want to be able to think well you've got to be emotionally emotionally well um, and I kind of get that and most of us probably um, that work in an area in areas of education will probably get that um, but it wasn't until I started thinking about the physical and spiritual intelligence it all really made sense because how many times is your body trying to tell you something and you know even if somebody answers fine if you say yeah I'm fine today you can usually tell from a non-verbal cue that they're not actually fine how many times have you asked somebody, you know, and if you ask that question, you've really got to want to know what the answer is. So there's got to be something about your own emotional intelligence and your own ability to be empathetic. So when I when I did the work around nonviolent communication, we saw, we also talked about um, 
in order to be empathetic and i'm gonna i'm stealing a metaphor here but it's the easiest one you know if you think about somebody who's got the, their mountain to climb and they're, they're sat on the mountain halfway up or a tree or whatever it is you know um i'm thinking of the blob trees now you know yeah 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 so you've got one so you're stuck halfway up I can see somebody now in a sulky mode, you know. Right? So there's a there's a physical sign of not not being great. Well, if you're halfway up your tree with another problem, you can't help them climb up that tree. The only way you can help them climb up that tree is if you get down and go and help them. So you've got to be able to park your own issues and just focus on their issues. And that really hit me because there's been times, you know, you know, when people say. Oh, I've, I don't know. I've, I've had a bad day. My, my daughter's, you know, I don't know. She, my daughter's had a tantrum, wouldn't go, wouldn't go to school. And the first thing some people say, and it's well-meaning and compassionate, I understand because mine's been exactly the same. What they're, trying, what they're doing there is they're still on their tree. They've not climbed your tree to help you with your issue or meet your need. So it's, yeah, it's about the unmet need that's linked to the feeling that sits underneath. Yeah, so I was going to say that because it, it comes down to, doesn't it, when you ask that person how they're feeling and if they're honest with you and they say, to be honest with you, I'm feeling a little bit disappointed in myself that I couldn't get my child out to school on time this morning or that <laughs> in my case, it happened a few times. They'd go out on the bus and I'd be driving in work and they'd be like, yeah, mum, I've, I've not got this or I used to have to stay in until the bus came because one day I, I was at work and they rang up, I've got no trousers. And I'd be like, oh, God. So then I'd go in work feeling like an absolute failure yeah. as a parent. And then obviously like, I'm supposed to be a deputy head here and I can't even make sure my own children have got trousers. Um, but if you do share that with someone and you as a leader feel that that's important that people share their feelings with you, you then have to be able to ask, what do you need, don't yeah. you? Yeah. You have to, I suppose, be able to say, that must be, you know, that must be terrible. That must be an awful yeah. way to be feeling. You know, I'm sorry that you're feeling that way. What do you need from me? Yeah. And you've got it's to be that, prepared yeah. to. It's that acknowledgement. And then what, if anything, do you need from me? Because sometimes they don't need anything, do they? You know, that that need might just be for somebody to hear you. Other times, yes, there might be a need for connection, there might be a need for help, there might be a need for, there might be a need for some sympathy and compassion, you know, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but it's more than that, isn't it? It's, um, you know, the one thing, the, the one thing you very rarely do, unless it's, it, is solve it, because actually they need help to solve it. Um rather than you you come in and superhero in and sort it out for them there'll be a time there'll be times for sorting um but they should be rare really but you're there to to walk walk that part of the climb that branch with them yeah I think for me possibly what <laughs> all I needed was an understanding that it might be 10 past eight when I were 11 minutes past eight when I got into the 10 past eight SLT briefing and I wanted to do it without anybody rolling any eyes at me because I was coming in on the last minute because my circumstances going through a separation yeah. divorce made that a challenge for me and sometimes that's all that's it's just that's all you need but if you can't articulate that in the environment that you're working in it does affect your well-being doesn't it absolutely your needs are not being met yeah and also you know you, you're giving yourself enough of a bad time of it you know you're beating yourself up enough about the fact that 
your child's got you haven't got any trousers you know or, or whatever it is yeah you know? um, so so you've got enough going on the issue you've got in a room full of people like that is they've all got their their trees to climb as well you know so the eye rolling is probably there because they've spent ages preparing something or do you know what I mean or they haven't got a lot of time so it's then managing all of that and with you know we all we all kind of felt that way you manage a class you manage a bunch of, of people within an organization and um, the dynamics are, are really tricky aren't they because lots of people have got a lot going on all at the same time so some of what going back to when we first connected, you know, thinking then what structures and systems can we have in place that apply to everybody? And then what what do we need to put into place to support for people who need that extra support to for, for the equitable access, if you like, yes. in terms of that? So, you know, when, when we talk about that, then does that need looking at? Is 10 past eight the right time for us all to be meeting or is there a better way of doing this? You know, it's all those sort of questions then that start coming up when you start having those honest conversations. And that's something that I've done with a class. That's something I've done with with um, communities. It's, it's everything, isn't it? If this isn't working for, for people, then what do we do about it? Sometimes, sometimes I just say, well, actually, it's still got to happen. But yeah, we understand you've got those issues. So this is, you know, just, just pop in, just come in and sit and, and give him permission, you know, and it is back to that permission to actually feel which is actually the title of Mark, Bra Mark Brackett's book Mark Brackett's influenced my work I tweeted about him today he's influenced my work right back um when I was when I was researching permission to feel yeah. I love that yeah I'm a very emotional person like <laughs> I get quite emotional you know if I'm in a conversation I can I can cry very like I cry very easily I think probably I, I don't know why if I get into any sort of conflict oh, there's a bit of conflict and uh, I, I get very emotional yeah and I always had a sense in a lot of the places where I worked that that wasn't acceptable you know it's not acceptable to to be like to be like that and to feel things and to you know to experience emotions it's interesting is it um since I've since I've moved on from headship um, and gone into working for myself, but working with a range of organisations, it's quite interesting thinking about the dynamics. But an element of my own learning I, I've done has been working with resilient leaders elements. And we talk about our leadership presence. And one key facet in leadership presence is that authenticity. So I think alongside the, the awareness of self, others and environment, there's something to be said here about authenticity and actually acknowledging it, you know, because actually being emotional is not a bad thing. You know, being able to, con you know, being able to control it in situations where you need to is another is another aspect you know there are times perhaps that we think well actually this I, I can show my emotions we can't stop the, the tears we, you know I have to, I go I go all sorts of places and fill up and, and actually when I'm getting passionate about things I get really emotional as well but I acknowledge it 
um and say you know i'll deal with that i'll deal with that a bit later or whatever um so there's that element but actually some sometimes acknowledging and celebrating the fact that you feel things the way you do and you are an emotional person is quite and it's it's quite a thing to be celebrated that's part of you so it's all it's the authenticity mm-hmm. um i've done some work with my own coach about this in terms of um in terms of the the masculine linear and I'm, I'm not saying this in a sort of a gender specific thing but you know that idea of the masculine and the feminine yeah. um because when I first started talking about emotional literacy long time ago you know we're talking 20 years or so and I think some of this comes from the fact that I went to I went to an American school when I lived in Thailand we had counsellors then in the 80s you know, we were all expected to touch base with our counsellors at least mm. once once a term, even if we felt we'd got no issues. Um, so the emotions were a big were set. They were, were prioritised way back in the eighties for us, and this was something. Um, originally, when I started talking about emotional intelligence, PSHE being at the heart of the curriculum instead of a Friday afternoon when you've got time and if you didn't have time, you didn't do it. Um, you know, and I'm being a bit, I am being a bit on my high horse about that, but it's yeah, the group, isn't it? PSHE yeah. relationships is the root of all we do. Um, so don't get me on that one. But um, I was told they were fluffy, they were fluffy subjects. And I was like, no, they're not. <laughs> the heart of all we do and when I wrote in the working class um the quote I used came and it was no accident I used Charles Dickens from hard times and um, there is a wisdom of the head and there is a wisdom of the heart and we're a bit of we're, we're a bit of all of it aren't we you know I talked about physicality well crying's physical mm. you know it's a physical reaction to something so it's telling us something and we'd never ch- tell a child don't cry you know, we'd, we'd help them to support them to recover from that crying, but we'd never, we'd never actually say, you're not allowed to cry. Unless you were my mum and you said, I'll give you something to cry for. Yeah. yeah she maybe. didn't like me crying. But, you know, let's hope we've moved on. <laughs> In schools, you know, I think we are. That, that element, when we cry, it's telling us we've had a deep feeling about something. You know, that's great. Isn't it great that we have, we have really deep feelings about stuff. We're passionate about things. Um, you know, there's that element of it. It's it's a message to us to say, actually, that's really affected me. Notice it. You know, let's notice this. This matters. Before we find out more from Julie about how we can work better with our emotions, I'd like to tell you a little bit about our partner, Head Teacher Chat. Head Teacher Chat discusses lots of topics from how to support pupils with learning, how to support parents, and the many issues that come with leading a school. The aim of Head Teacher Chat is to support head teachers and school leaders who are in a challenging and often lonely role. They do this by offering lots of information for schools to tap into. For example, they have lots of fantastic education companies on their database for leaders to discover, as well as leadership templates to download. They've written product reviews for leaders who are looking for products for their school. And this year, they've even launched the very first school leader planner, especially designed to help leaders to be productive and organised. If you'd like to hear more about Head Teacher Chat, you can find them on their website at www.headteacherchat.com. Head Teacher Chat. It's what head teachers are talking about. Now let's get back to the interview. It's interesting because before when you were talking about needs linked into this as well, it's about understanding your triggers too, isn't it? 
because there's something there in that interaction, whatever's going on, that's causing me to feel those emotions. That's I'm on the verge of tears or feel like I need to cry or I am crying. There's something that's triggering those really strong and powerful emotions at that point, isn't there? Absolutely. And I always think that I what I think I've learned to do is to step out of that and step back from it. And sometimes it might require me to say to the person I'm in the conversation with or the interaction with, I'm just going to step outside for a short while because I'm not at the moment, I'm not in a position to engage in this conversation about that. I'm going to have to go and like yeah. take myself away from it. And because I know that when something triggers me, and I think this happens an awful lot in schools because our emotions are so close to the surface, because we work in a, a very emotionally charged environment in schools anyway, don't we? So I think, and we, we are usually are generally often quite stressed. So our emotions are often just sitting below the surface, aren't they? Yes. But there's something that tends to be a trigger. And it's about, you know, I have to step back and go, what was it within me that made me have that really powerful reaction to that? Mm. You know, rather than biting back and snapping at someone or reacting in the heat of that, whatever it is I'm feeling, I need to step back and go, is this something worth being emotional about? Yeah. Was that person intending to, and, you know, just ha go through that process of having a think about, right, hang on, let me think about my reaction there. What caused that reaction? What, tr what, whatever that person said or did, what did it trigger inside me that made me feel like that? And I have to explore that a little bit. And sometimes, you know, I'll come around to, you know, I was, I grew up and lived in a council house and, you know, single mom and sometimes I've got hang-ups about that and yeah. if someone says something that make I go so I have to do like so it's it's not only like whether you need to be met isn't it it's whether there's some sort of trigger there for yeah. you as well there's all your underlying um baggage if you like yeah. what's in your suitcase that you bring you know or, or what hat are you wearing at the time as well you know I spoke to Adele Bates a little while ago um she wrote Miss I don't give her and I, I can't say yes. it, but, yeah um and she took she she cites you know how many how many times have you missed your lunch break and then you go in in the afternoon and the class are all leery it's windy and it's been raining they've had wet play or whatever it is and you're you're hungry and you um you know and and that might trigger all sorts of things for lots of people you know depending you know we could go right back couldn't we to to that deep hunger if you like for some of us um or whatever it is and then something happens that takes you right back into a in, into a place that you'd rather not be if you like so actually we're right back to self-awareness aren't we as the adult in the room being really self-aware and being able to say actually this isn't for me to deal with right now. I'm not going to deal with this right now because I'm yeah. not the best person to deal with this. Or I'm not in the right headspace yeah. to deal with yeah. it. Yeah. Or knowing that you just need to step back a bit and say, you know, because, and that's the same for a child, isn't it? Sometimes when they're absolutely triggered, there's no way they can hear anything you're saying to them. You just you give them the space, you take the space and say, we'll talk about this when we're both calm and we're both able to talk about it. Same thing, same thing applies, at, you know, as a school leader. How many times have I said that to a parent 
when a parent's been triggered about something that's gone up in school, very often that's linked to their own experience of school. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm making a summary there, but often it can be. Um, you know, and there's this need, you feel a need as a school leader to answer them straight away because you want to, you want to be seen as I've got an open door and I've got this, that and the other. But actually sometimes it would be, would you like to come in for a cup of tea or shall we leave it and talk about it when we're ready, when we're both in the right mind space to do this and giving them the options and giving them an element of choice can sometimes be really powerful and say look neither of us are in the best place to talk about this we've just had a stressful situation do want to talk about it because there's lots to learn from this when's the best time and it you know if, if it's now we'll do it but if it's not do you want a cuppa <laughs> you know and, and all that sort of stuff because actually sometimes that's all it needs and we're back to basic humanity aren't we we're back to relationships yeah sometimes yeah. a parent just needs to know that you actually care about what they think and you you're going to take the time to listen to them yeah. don't they it's, it's the same it's, it's a member of staff you know how often how often I've worked with a member of staff who's 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 just been shattered you know there's times when they've been absolutely shattered and I said okay you just need to take some time I'll go and teach your class yeah. you know or you know we'll we'll organize something for somebody out you know if there's a TA in there that knows what they're doing then you know seamless but actually you take some time it's again back to permission as well permission to just be authentic so it comes down to that authenticity as well doesn't it I bang on about hourly all the time Julia don't worry though yeah. If, if regular listeners are tuning in, they will have heard about Arely. And I've got um, Rachel McGill, who's one of the creators of the Resilient Leaders Elements. Oh, yeah. It's coming on the show, hopefully, right. in, a, in right. a couple of weeks. So, um, yeah, I, so I do talk about that a lot. I can't I wish, push it enough, really. I, was I, just, I just think it's just crucial. I wish I wish more schools knew about it. No. Um, that and Barrett, uh, the Barrett Values model, I don't know if, if you've put that it's speaking to me a little bit in terms of what we're talking about right now. I don't know if you've seen the Barrett Values. No, I haven't, no. The seven layers of consciousness in their values. So when I first looked at it, it reminded me a lot of Maslow, but it's more than that. It's like Maslow on some sort of um, speed or whatever. (laughs) Because the bottom, it's like two appended triangles with a circle in the middle. Um, And the bottom it talks about that you need all of these things to 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 have a really successful whether it's you as a person whether it's an organization or whether it's a team um and at the bottom there's the survival stuff so safety you know all the things that where we, we have to feel safe and secure then it's relationships as the next layer up and the next layer up to that is self-esteem which is something we've we've touched on today mm. now but what they say is you can't get stuck in that. If you overdo all of that, then it twists on itself and actually causes blame cultures and everything else. To get the, the next one up is transformation. And the ones at the top are something anybody in education would say, well, we buy into that. So um, it's internal cohesion, making a difference and service. So that's where your legacy sits or your vision or whatever else. So the idea is you've got the whole um, but all of us have got bit elements of that that we probably have more of than others. But actually, you need the whole for it, for a really successful 
um, way of being, if you like, whether that's you, an organisation or even a classroom, there's a model for a classroom as well. Um, so actually thinking about what we've been saying in terms of survival relationships and self-esteem may have to be in place before you get transformation. Um, so actually, if you don't spend the time on those, and if you don't keep coming back to reflecting on that, you're not going to get any of the other stuff. Um, you might have you might have the intention, but it's not it's not going to happen if you haven't got all the other stuff that sit below. So it's worth spending time on the emotional on the emotional elements and developing. Yeah, that. it's interesting because what what you were talking about made me think about in terms of self awareness is that a lot of people don't realise how much self-awareness means sort of recognising your emotions and how you're feeling and how you're responding to things. Because um, I do a women leaders group coaching programme. And one of the conversations that we were having, the last cohort that we did, a couple of people were talking about when, you know, when you're in a bit of a state and someone says, oh, are you OK? And you say, oh, don't say, are you OK? Because you just burst into tears and you start crying. Or someone else sort of referred to it as when her husband says to her, mm, I can tell you're not OK. And I was saying then, like, that's a lack of self-awareness then. You're not recognising soon enough. Like, you're not aware enough of yourself to recognize that you've got to a point of real stress there you're sort of on the cusp of we talk don't we about that um I can't remember what we call it in RLE but it, it's the pressure to stress the isn't continuum it? isn't yeah, it the, the pressure continuum. to stress continuum yes. and you've like you've gone so far along it that you you're on the edge of it you're on the cusp of it and it takes someone else to tell you yeah that you're on the edge of that or for someone to show you a bit of kindness and you burst into tears because you're so far along that continuum and I think a lot of people misunderstand self-awareness I think there are lots of different aspects to it it's very complex mm. and it's about knowing yourself knowing you knowing what your character is knowing your traits knowing your values understanding a lot of those beliefs that underpin yeah. your behaviors and your actions and things like that but it is also about that understanding of your own levels of emotion and stress isn't it and being able to to recognize that yeah and it's not something a lot of us have learned about no you know, it, it takes work doesn't it it takes work but also with everything else that's going on around us we often neglect it so we start to ignore it so some of it's failure to recognize some of its capacity to recognize and you know and we, we talked about the ability to label you know how many people could label how how sad they were feeling or how how anxious they were feeling before it got to the point where they're like their body's screaming at them um or somebody else is screaming at them because they can see it in them and how often do we take a little bit of time it doesn't have to be loads of time but you know i i, I think i tweeted today about pause points you know i get when i wake up in the morning i take 10 minutes to check in with myself it doesn't have to be massive, but I, because I do some yoga, you know, I've learned the, the value of yoga and meditation. I might, I might move a bit. I might not. 
I might just sit and be um, and just check in and think, actually, where am I today? Where do I want to be? What's my intention for today? You know, yesterday wasn't such a good day. I need to be a bit more positive or, or whatever that is. I need to let go of stuff a bit more or you, know, you might have an intention over a period of time, mightn't you? But you may also set an intention for the day, depending what what you've got going on. And then through the day, actually consciously stopping yourself you know and, and actually kind of making a plan to do that now I used to do it in the loo because it was, I was just, every time I go to the loo I'm going to check in on myself um, because it was just a, a way of reminding myself you know so if, I, if I'm in the loo right okay how am I feeling don't have to be when I'm sat in the loo it can be washing my hands or whatever yeah. but actually going through a process of thinking okay so how do I feel what are my shoulders doing because I, I got to know which parts of my body you know, I talked about physical intention. I got to know which parts of my body were the bits because we all have different different moves. We all have different things that go first. I'm just thinking about my own yeah. shoulders now. Yeah. Like, oh. But I, ha- I, I used to then check in and think, okay, so I'm just going to do this. Stomach, what's my stomach doing? I had a couple of little exercises I would do and I, I'd do some vagus nerve stuff, some vagus nerve reset stuff that takes about two minutes or a box breath or something just to calm everything down. And sometimes I'd do it before I was going into a meeting to ground myself. I mean, other people, they can look at, they look at something great, you know, they look out the window and look at something nice or, you know, it's that, or get outside. Whatever it is, you know. And this what, is that spiritual works. thing as well, isn't it, yeah, now that you yes. link into that ground, yeah. the grounding yourself, yeah. looking at, at nature, appreciating your environment and things like that. Now, this is the change equation, isn't it? So. Yeah. We were talking about it before we started recording. Yeah. So can you just explain what that is for the I'll listener? Try. I'm not <laughs> the solicitor and I still haven't got it myself. It's a learning curve, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah, this this idea that there's, there's four... That, that I, I worry about quality intelligences because I know people have talked about multiple intelligence theory a lot at the minute. But it's, it's for... Like, I don't want to talk about elements because that's resilient leaders, but let's just <laughs> let's just call it intelligence at the minute because it's all it's the, the messages your body gives you. So the narrative you make it, you know, the narrative your body or yourself is creating. So linked to that self-awareness, linked to that awareness of what's going on around you. You know, when you come in at anything, you'll have a feeling about it, you'll have an emotion about it. So your emotional intelligence will kick in. You know, even if I said, What do you want for tea tonight? chances are you'll be going through some decisions in terms of what you like what makes you feel good um and then then you then you um eat your iq will kick in your rational side of things you can't have that you're on a diet or, or whatever it is you just got i that. thought oh pizza and then i thought there's no way i can have pizza because at the tesco at the top they don't sell those little <laughs> like low calorie yeah so i did it so right i just logic. did exactly through yeah, yeah. Yeah, your brain kicks in and starts telling you the narrative that it wants you to hear and you're thinking it through. What's what's the what's the what's the viability of this? You know, the rational and the logic and working out, you know, what the purpose of it all is, if you like. Then I've mentioned the physical intelligence so what's your body telling you oh yeah I'd really really like you know and you, you, you might even out your stomach might start rumbling or your mouth your saliva goes you know when you start thinking about food or whatever so there's a physical response so when we're stressed there's physical signs that we are we often ignore or we fail to notice 
whichever way that is and that's where when you talked about partners or people that know as well will notice the physical stuff they'll notice the non-verbal stuff and they'll know you're not right even if you haven't seen it I had a friend who was really really stressed and when she was really really stressed she started to speak faster and she did strange things with her eyes and her shoulders and I'd say you're doing that thing again she hadn't noticed it We'd had a conversation about it um, and she said, no, right. And then she knew what she needed to do. So that kind of leads us on to the spiritual side. So you're absolutely right. We nurture the spiritual side with, with whatever kind of lights us up. I use that a lot, what lights you up. So uh, for me, it'll be getting playful, getting creative, getting out in the garden outside, spending a bit of time with my cat, all those sorts of things like me. And my kids, I should say my kids, but my kids don't live with me, my cat does. Um, so, um, yeah, <laughs> so there's, there's all that element. But also there's sitting within that is your intuition and your beliefs. And, you know, beliefs is as deep as, as it wants to be. Some of that, some of that might be, fat. for me, it's values-led. So things that speak to my values, so joy, you know, I'm, I'm quite playful, so I want to have some fun, um, getting creative, being curious about something will speak to me then. But in terms of how that works, say we were looking at something in terms of what we want to eat tonight, you know, what's your intuition telling you? What's the, you know, as, as simple as that, or what do you value? You know, what, what would be fun to eat tonight? Oh, I could quite fancy some fajitas or so, you know. So there's that element of what do you value? But for some people, that would be definitely linked to, you know, deeper, deeper spiritual belief as well. Um, how does this sit? How does this decision meet with what I what I believe in? Yeah, I guess with the, like, with the pizza thing, I suppose for me, it would be a bit like, and that's not going to, like, I, you know, what I put into my body is really important and how Absolutely. I take care of my body is really yeah. important. So having, you know, going up and having a big pepperoni pizza is not going to, you know, ful <laughs> fulfill that. It's not, you know, my body is a temple. So I talk like that. Honestly, I eat all sorts of rubbish stuff. <laughs> I don't want people thinking I'm some sort of really virtuous. Like I only eat certain things, but that would be an example of it, wouldn't it? In terms yeah. of like the spiritual yeah. aspect of it. And the other aspect of that then is, and I get, you know, I've battled with weight most of my life, I think. Um, but there's that element of you, you kind of know what you want. You know, you know what you want. And if you don't do that, you beat yourself up about it afterwards. So in the rawest of senses, and we are talking top layer here with food, you know, but it, yeah. it was a, a way of looking at it. Um, when you're not working in line with what you truly value and believe in, that's when things can go horribly wrong. So we're back on the pressure to stress continuum where we could almost, we could also be looking at some severe physical stuff going wrong. You know, I worked in the situation quite a while ago now and I was getting back pain like nobody's business. And when I went to have it looked at, my spine was twisted and they said, you have been holding yourself totally wrong. And it was stress. It was yeah. it was stress that caused I hadn't done anything. It was it was the way I was. My physical response was. I, and I did have a fit after I don't mind sharing it my mum when my mum died when I was in my 30s um and I ended up having to have a hysterectomy in my 30s because everything went physically wrong inside I got two small children and I kept going my dad didn't deal with it well I kept going for everybody else but physically 
um, because I hadn't spent the time to, to, to look after myself as much, my body let me know. So that mm-hmm. there's all those four, you can see how they're intertwined really. Um, and I think the one we probably, a lot of us probably ignore is that spiritual sense, that alignment with what we believe in and what we value is sometimes compromised. Now we can't, it, you can't, it can't be perfect. None of it can be perfect any, at any point, given point, or if, if somebody is living that perfect life, show me them, I'd like to know how they do it. <laughs> but it's the, like you were saying earlier, it's the knowing about it and then having strategies to deal with it. And, and just thinking, actually, what what will sort this out for me? But at certain points, it might be, actually, this is not right. I actually need to change something. Um, and being brave enough to change it. So then that comes into, you know, that resilient decision-making. We're back to RLA. You know, thinking, okay, so, um, you know, how can I be versatile enough to look at this from a different direction and think about how I might deal with it? Um, you know, what can I create? What what can what can work differently so I can make this better from all of these lenses? It's quite an interesting way. I found it fascinating when I first met Liz and thought about the narratives we tell ourselves and do we think about our physical narrative, our beliefs narrative or spiritual narrative, our emotional narrative yeah. and our cognitive narrative and how do they interact? I mean, I totally, totally believe that mental and emotional health is intrinsically linked with physical health and that if your emotional and your mental health is not not good if you're going through a lot of stress or whatever it might be you know you your body does try if you ignore if you're ignoring it your body will eventually say you can't ignore this any longer and it will start giving you I don't know if I've mentioned it on the on the podcast before but I ended up at the walking centre one weekend feeling like I had a great a grapefruit lodged mm-hmm. in my throat. Um, I mean, it, it was just a manifestation mm-hmm. of, of stress that I just ignored and ignored yeah. and ignored. And my body was like, this is this is it. And after that, I had CBT. It was a it was um, sort of it triggered the doctor to say, you know, it could be coming from your anxiety yeah um so i do like really firmly believe that you know those things are just intrinsically linked i'm thinking about there's something about uh, you just i I can't remember who wrote about it there's something about voice and symptoms appearing in your throat Mm. the fact that you're not living your authentic voice or that your authentic voice can't get through for whatever reason um i can't think who it who it is that that wrote about it um or who speaks about it but I, mm. I have heard lots about it Very interesting. um and certainly you know when you think I've done a lot because I've I, I led a network for the Royal Shakespeare Company Associate Schools we, t- we do a lot of work on the voice and where the voice comes from how when we enunciate certain words or when we say certain words what's the physical response when we say them this is kind of linked to some of the work I've done around language mm. um, in terms of how we feel those words when we say them. Um, it's interesting, like coming back to the language thing, because I'm thinking of the implication of a lot of the things that we've discussed today in schools and with regard to well-being and how many schools are, you know, really, really trying their best to support the well-being of staff and implementing all sorts of initiatives and doing lots of great things I don't see a lot of this being delivered to staff in sort of on an inset or in a training session helping 
staff to learn about these things, to learn about themselves as emotional beings and how they can, because like we were saying, in lots of schools, I know this work is taking place with children and I work with lots of leaders and there are, there's a high number of them who come from schools where they're talking about, you know, self-regulation, zones of regulation, emotional um, intelligence with, you know, doing all that work, emotional literacy work with the children. But the staff have missed out on all of that because it was not part of our education. It was, I mean, it, it was just not part of my education at all when I was at school. And when I talk about the things that I know now, I am totally self, like I've, I've learned all that myself. I, I love, you know, reading books about it and finding out about it. And I think in terms of developing that awareness of myself and being quite, you know, emotionally intelligent or emotionally literate I think in schools a lot of our staff are not and I think it would be so so beneficial for training to be delivered which I say training it sounds it makes it sound too formal that doesn't it but in terms of helping staff to understand all this emotional literacy emotional intelligence how they can how they can recognize those things and develop it much better I think it would be such brilliant work to do it is it's interesting isn't it when we're expecting Mm. them to deliver it to children but they haven't been taught it themselves we wouldn't expect them to do that with maths or English would we or science or history they've got to have undergone some of this in their training um, and they've got to come with it with a level of expertise because how can you teach it effectively if you don't understand it yourself? Yeah. So I've got my leadership hat on now um, because actually this has got to be the heart. This has got to be a curriculum decision. And I'm talking about curriculum in the largest of senses because I'm absolutely of the opinion you can't have a bolt on well-being approach. Not it's got to start with, okay, so what's our school about? I've done some work with the school this year. Um, we were looking at, we started looking at um, a different way of measuring or a wider way of measuring. And we, we, I worked alongside Sarah Caton from Inspiration for All, who has got an amazing framework and we've developed it for use in schools. But actually when it came down to it, it was getting to the heart of what your vision's about. We've, you know, we've talked about self-awareness. Mm. So looking at all the things we've talked about today in, in the sense of the organisation, And it's just layering. You know, I talk about how you work with a class and there are there are nuances of how you change because how you work with a class, how you work with adults, how you work yourself are all are all layered, aren't they? So actually coming at it from a leadership stance is okay. what is it we want? What sits at the heart of all we do? And if what we're saying is these are all interdependent, then everything it has got to run through everything. So I could talk about this in the in the easiest of senses. If you if you went to, into a classroom in your school, you would hope to see this. So where are your children being nurtured in terms of physical intelligence? Where are your staff being nurtured in terms of their physical intelligence? How do the two interact? Because you could do this job on so many layers with one or two things and there's a couple of you know I will mention a couple of things I don't know if anybody's heard of Joe Bradley from Learnful but she does um 10 minute meditations for schools and one of the things she asks you to do is everybody does it 
everybody in the school does it for 10 minutes. Now, there's work has to go into that because you're absolutely right. People have to understand it. They have to understand the rationale. They have to buy into it. They have to notice the effects. They have to promote the effects. But if, if you can, you know, it's a holy grail for, for some schools. It's a big ask, you know, but it takes time. It takes time to work with people and get them to really get on board with it. Long time ago, and this, I, I went to an inset because I was a TA before I was a teacher. I was a midday manager before that. So I was <laughs> dinner lady, TA, teacher, senior leader, head teacher, worked across schools in network leads. And then now I'm doing training and goodness knows what. So I've done the whole gamut. But um, the day before I was going off to do a PGC, I was still a TA. And I asked if I could go in to do the inset day before I went off to uni at the school I've been a TA at and I said yeah come in and I am so glad I did because it was Greg Sampson from Our Time I don't know if you if you've ever come across Our Time I haven't um, but the name rings a bell yeah he worked, he worked within a school, city schools in Coventry to start with um and it was discreet teaching of behavior if you like or ways to be um but there was it was about respect it was about respecting yourself respecting others um and he's such a gentleman um and so polite with everybody but that it kind of links to dave whitaker's unconditional you know he talks about unconditional positive regard and the kindness yeah 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 and mark finnis's restorative practice yeah as well all links to it but it was a simple program that you implemented whole school um, I used it in my school we used to on a Monday morning the first bit and then obviously we we then took it to the nth degree and thought well if this if this is what we believe in how how is it how is it materializing each and every day each and every lesson how are we facilitating it it's a bit like if you say well in our school we we're committed to oracy so what does that look like in every lesson and how are you facilitating collaboration and dialogue you know that sort of stuff so was how are we facilitating this how are we reminding how are we offering those moments to notice <coughs> excuse me so some of the work I've done with this school this year was about if what you're saying you want you know if, if you're saying this is what we're all about as a school what's it look like what's it look like in every iteration for every child for every adult so I'd say coming back to you know well-being if this is what we want what does that look like at every level of the organization and then refining it and being simple about it rather than it costing loads of money or you know being things that you can't sustain how are we going to embed this how are we going to make sure it happens how are we going to facilitate it and then some of it is about staff training isn't it some of it's about the knowledge what can we do to make sure our staff really understand this and get it and, and how does it link to their why and their sense of purpose? Because that's the only way you're going to get it embedded is if they really care about it and if they can really see the impact it's going to have, not just on the children, but on them. Um, and then you noticing it, you know, and celebrating <laughs> it because that's yeah. the biggie, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I'm guilty of it as well as a, as a leader. You know, you implement something and how often do you kind of look at it and think, oh, it's not working as it should do. You know, you look at the stuff you still need to do. How often do you celebrate it and say, look at this. This is amazing. Look what we've done. OK, so what do we need to do now? 
you know what is it what 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 next bit do we want for Christmas or, or whatever it is yeah so so um yeah I think there's layers and that was kind of some of the work I did around and I think that's that's brought us full circle because I think that's what I spoke about in that post was saying this is what I was aiming at with the curriculum I was working on yeah it's been so brilliant to talk to you I, I I I say this so many times on the podcast I could talk to you probably for another three hours I'm sure um but thanks so much for joining us you've mentioned lots of different people mm-hmm. uh, books writers so if you can let me have a list of those really? I can put that on the show notes well, so that people can can right. access those because you you've referred to lots of brilliant sounding models and books and people so that would be great if people want to get in touch with you to find out more about your work or how they can work with you where can they get in touch with you i've got a website boundless learning limited and i'm on twitter at boundless limited so people can send me an email or Is it ltd or ltd I had to choose I've just gone I've just become a limited company we lead well limited and I had to choose whether I wanted the full word or LTD it was uh, big big decisions big decisions I'm making these days <laughs> the boundless is the hardest about God is about no limits I don't believe anybody should have any limits on them if, if they want to go over their horizons then that's what I want to help them do so um yeah Brilliant. that's why the boundless it's got a bit of a Shakespeare reference in there too but uh, and that links to my book which is not yet out but will be when I get finished (laughs) well here's my opportunity to say when your book is released will you come back on the podcast and tell us all about it yeah it'd be brilliant I'd love to talk to you again it's been an absolute pleasure great thanks ever so much it's been great to talk to you Vicky yeah I'm sure you not going to disagree with me when I say that I think Julia is just absolutely brilliant. Some of the things that she talked about just resonated so powerfully with me. The idea of needs is really powerful to me because it's so important to well-being that our needs are being fulfilled. So that's really important that you understand that as a school leader. The idea of belonging, being heard and valued and that staff value themselves and thinking about as a leader how you can promote that idea of how you can help staff to value themselves more because often I think teachers are very self-critical they're real perfectionists and there is an inner critic in there that is you know having a probably having a go at them a lot of the time so as a school leader I think it's really important to think about how you can help staff to value themselves more She talked about the Barrett values model, which I think was very interesting and requires more investigation from me. And um, also talking about the change equation was a big game changer for me. Um, EQ, IQ, physical intelligence and spiritual intelligence, which I think are really, really important, all really important components of well-being and that that sense of well-rounded well-being as well looking at all different aspects of your well-being and the way your brain works so I think there's a lot to be learned there from the change equation and I will put all this in the show notes for you 
I apologise for my lateness getting this show to you, but I have had the most horrendous technical difficulties. I had some amazing holidays in the summer, came back thinking, yes, I'm going to get back on it with the podcast. And for some reason, my computer did not agree with me. So I apologise for how long it's taken, but we are now back on track and I'm looking forward to bringing you some more great interviews as we go into the autumn term. As ever, take care of yourself, take care of your staff, and I'll speak to you next time. This episode of the We Lead Well podcast was brought to you in partnership with Transform Education Coaching, headteacherchats.com, and Teach Well Alliance.